We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? This is One Royal Way here on Kansas City Sports Network. My name is Joel Penfield. Thank y'all for joining me today. Uh, whether you're on YouTube, uh, Spotify, iTunes, uh, really appreciate y'all tuning in for this. Joining me today is Jordan Foote, uh, editor-in-chief at Inside the Royals. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. What's going on, man? Man, excited to be back. Um, always a good time chatting with you, dude. It's lots of good, or sorry, not lots of good, lots of bad going on with the Royals right now, unfortunately. Um, sorry to mislead everyone, but if you've been following the team, you know what kind of weird year it's been so far. I'm yeah. still young in the season, but excited to be back, man. Yeah, five and nine as we record tonight on Tuesday. We're trying to get out ahead of the NFL draft a little bit so this doesn't get buried in what's going to to come on KCSN. Rightfully so, the, the Chief stuff is uh, is incredible. But I uh, want to make sure y'all can listen to this. Uh, prior to that, before we get into that. Uh, the show is always brought to you by Kansas City Strength and Conditioning. Let's hear a quick word from them. From the beginning, we knew right away that we wanted to do strength conditioning and a throwing program for the baseball and softball community. It wasn't something we were trying to back into or all of a sudden learn. We knew we were really good at these coaching these skills from the get-go. And the fact that we're in the same business and the employees are all on the same page, you know, we can write a program based off of what a kid needs, not just getting him stronger or faster from a general sense. It's what does this kid need? On the pitching end, we can say, hey, this kid needs such and such. He needs to do this or that better. A lot of times it turns out it's not something that needs to be fixed in the baseball cage or on the throwing mound. It actually needs to be fixed in the weight room. Big thanks to KCSC, as always. Be sure to check them out down uh, in Olathe uh, if you have a baseball player or softball player that needs a place to train. All right, Jordan. So as of the recording of this, it's in the middle of the game on Tuesday against the White Sox. At the time of recording, the Royals were up 4 to nothing. Hopefully that holds. Uh, need a W in their big time because also 6-9 and nine record. Nice. Um, I am a child. It's fine. Um, but in the middle of what I think is the fifth inning, the tweets start rolling in that Alberto Mondesi is hurt Undisclosed injury at the time of this recording, but he left the game. Uh, I, for one, am completely and utterly shocked that this occurred. Um, but, I mean, it's not like he, he's been anything good for this team at this point. So, I'm not, I, in no way am I trying to say that him getting hurt is a good thing. But he has not been a good player so far this season. I mean, j- just, he's 112% worse than league average as a hitter right now. Striking out almost 40% of the time. It hasn't been pretty. Could this could end up maybe being a benefit to the Royals and that maybe getting him out of the lineup for a little bit, uh, whether it was going to be rest or you know an IL stint to get healthy, uh, could actually be to the benefit of the Royals to get another bat in the lineup. Yeah, I think so too. And it, it really it sums up. I hate to be that way. It sums up his tenure with the team. Like I, you come in with the high expectations, he falls flat and then gets injured, or both. Like sometimes the getting injured re- resulted in him. Mm-hmm. not living up to those expectations, falling flat. Like, you you look at this guy, 2018 was his best season easily. He played 75 games. Like, yeah. he has never put together even half of a full season. He played, um, well, I, I guess he the, played COVID, like the COVID he played, year. 
Well, he played 102 games in 2019. That's at least something. Yes, no, no, no. You are right. You are right. Um, so eight, yeah. But either yeah. way, even yeah, either way, it's not you know 75. percent He hasn't put together a close to full season. He has hit the over half mark as you brought up. Um, see, this is how long it's been going on with him that I don't even yeah. remember how many games he played in 2019. Like it's this is year what six or seven with him because he debuted in the World Series, right? I mean, this is this is the sixth. Well. He came. He remember he broke camp with the team in sixteen, and then immediately yes. got sent down because he wasn't ready, yes. and then came back up, and then kind of up and down and hurt in seventeen. Yeah, hurt in twenty eighteen, but got played the back half of the year was really good. Was good in nineteen when play, when he for the most part when he played, uh, and then he was okay in twenty, and then he was hurt for eighty percent of last season. So this is just yeah. it's, it, I mean it it became a trend like three years ago. So, like, you almost, as I, I talked about in a lot of the preseason episodes, like, you almost had to bake in an IL stint or two for him because it was just going to happen. Um, it's just the way that it is. Uh, I hate I hate it because, I mean, the kid is super talented. Whether the, I know the results on the field don't show it, but, I mean, we've seen flashes of him being a brilliant oh, yeah. baseball player. Um, that There's no denying that, but he hasn't been healthy enough to sustain anything, so we don't really know. It almost becomes, like, one of those, like, one of the great what-ifs in – Royals history of what this guy could be because the talent is so supreme. Yeah, absolutely. And he he's a guy that the results haven't been there. He he's still a free swinger. Like he's still basically the same player he was when he came up. A yeah. really fast, smooth fielding, athletic as all get out guy that strikes out a ton, doesn't walk much at all, hasn't quite lived up to the power potential, but has flashed it. He's had weeks where he's been the best player in baseball. He's also had weeks where he's been the worst player in baseball or a bottom five player in baseball. And I know that getting him out there for whenever he does get on base, he's a threat to steal, great base runner, um, great defender, obviously. But you always are waiting with him for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. It's always a concern. Um, he's going to be 27 in July. He's not getting younger. He's a guy that's in his athletic prime. That's great. Um, theoretically in a full season, the Royals maybe could get some remnants of consistency with him, whether that's fewer strikeouts or hitting 250 or, you know, 50 stolen bases or 40 stolen bases or whatever it is like heading into the year, it was going to be a win for the Royals. If he played a hundred games, if you can make yeah. him a 100 game player, get him out there three, four times a week, um, get him in the lineup, not routinely, but semi-routinely, then all of a sudden, it was just, okay, we're going to ride until the wheels fall off. And he's played every game so far, and now he's hurt. I don't know when that philosophy shifted, really, and why. I know that the coverage around that has been a little iffy. Um, the Royals, I guess, are saying, you know, he's he's more of a threat to himself. There's nothing we can do to change this. I know that his offseason regiment was tweaked a little bit. Um, he kind of broke it down into the uh, biomechanics. I mean, the technology with baseball is insane, but... yeah. Who knows if it's a hamstring? Who knows if he just felt a little tightness? But, I mean, he's a guy that a little tightness, he can come back tomorrow and say he feels great, then swing out of his shoes and, and be hurt even worse. I mean, it sucks because he's so talented, but the other shoe probably dropped at least a little bit for now. Yeah, it's – I mean, so just he's slashing this year, 125, 176, 125. It's bad. It's I mean, that is – Unplayable. That, it's unplayable. And it was getting to that point that, you know, he wasn't seeing fastballs anymore. Like there were, it was just breaking balls in the dirt and he's flailing over the top of them. Now he plays good enough defense. He's not a negative. Like he is actually not a negative war player, which I thought he would have been close to negative one at this point. He's a flat zero. So he is a replacement player at this point, which is what I thought he would be coming into the season. I thought the Royals were going to kind of give him a pitch count, so to speak. And he plays three or four days a week. Um, you know, plays a little third, plays a little short, comes in as a pinch runner if they really need him at the end of a game and give him some built-in breaks. And that wasn't the case. And I know the Royals coming into the season said, no, no, there's no training wheels on this. He's going to play, which I thought, okay, great. When's the IL stint in April going to happen? And here it is. Um, and we're just at that point now. And tightness for him, I mean, that was what he was dealing with last year. And he missed like yeah. four months. Yep. And we kept hearing, oh, he's progressing, and then he got hurt again. And then he's progressing. Again. So who knows? This could be a season ender for him for all we know, uh, just with the way that his injuries go. Uh, hopefully he comes back soon uh, because the Royals infield is better with him in it. Uh, at the plate, not so much, but the Royals infield, when he was playing short this year, it was great. 
um, played some great defense, which has always been something he's been good at. But I, I just don't know anymore, man. I mean, it, it's frustrating. Uh, I don't know when we'll see Alberto Mondesi again, but we'll wait for more information to come out before we make any sort of judgment there. Another guy, we're, we're getting all the negative. We're doing the opposite of what Tucker and I did last week. We're getting all the crap out of the way early uh, so we can have a little more fun and talk about some of the positive stuff on the back end. Um, Whit Merrifield has been a great player for the Royals for a long time. Um, he's been one of the best players on a bad team for his entire career. But we're getting to the point now where the streak was cute and it was cool. The fact that he's able to demand the post every day, the man needs a break. And like it, it is getting to the point where it's like not the same player anymore. Like I don't recognize watching Whit Merrifield play every single day now. Like the bats are grossly awful. Um, he had a terrible one on Sunday uh, in the extra innings uh, on a strikeout, swinging at a pitch well out of the zone. He did it earlier tonight. I think he had the bases loaded, swung at a pitch almost in the other batter's box. I, I think he's tired. I think I don't think he's hurt, but I think the fatigue has certainly caught up to him. He's an older player. He's 33. I know it's not old, but old in baseball terms. And when you've played you know, over 400 consecutive games right around there from ages 29 to 33, that's not going to work. Like you, you just can't do it anymore. And there are guys that you should give at bats to, and Edward Olivares, Kyle Isbell, or anybody else, and just give the man a break. And I, it's frustrating to watch him continue to put him out there. They moved him down in the order for one game, and they immediately put him back at the top the next week, and it didn't work. Like At some point, give the dude a rest. And I, I think it would be to his benefit and to the Royals' benefit. I was – very, very, very jokingly. Because, of course, you never, ever, ever wish someone would get hurt. I wish he would just wake up and, like, not feel great one day. Like, not even physically. Just, like, have a cold or a sniffle or something that kept him out of a game. Say, dude, I have a sore throat today. Or, like, something that I, I literally do feel tired. And, and I know – did you see the, the Lynn Worthy article that came out the other day? I think so. Um, yeah. It was really good about how Witt said, I, I feel fine. He made it perfectly clear. He was like, it's not fatigue. I feel great, blah, blah, blah. You can say that, but like, dude, you're 33. You've been playing in a row. Again, the streak cute is a great word. Like it's never, he's never going to catch Cal. He'd have to play till he's like a billion years old in order to do it. Um, Prince Fielder is ahead of him. I believe like yada, yada. Okay, cool. The Royals, a have a log jam that can be partially cleared every once in a while with him getting days off. They have a player who's already been in a decline. Like it's not like Whit Merrifield's a bad player. He's still good. Um, outside of this year, of course. But last season, he was still good. He was league average as a hitter, a little bit worse, actually, depending on what you look at. His way to runs created plus was what, like 90 last season? Or was well, it a little yeah, bit it higher? Was between 90 and 95, if I recall. Yeah. So he's still fine at the plate. He's not going to strike out a ton. Even this year, I thought maybe it was Sunday's game. Um, when he had four strikeouts, I was like, man, this guy just struck out a ton this year. It actually isn't insurmountably 13, 13%, crazy perfectly yeah, managed. he's still yeah he's still doing fine so it's not like he isn't i think a lot of this is something that one built-in day off a week or one built-in day off every couple weeks or a he's so competitive and, and that's one thing that i've always respected about wit is he wants to be out there he wants to play if it's a if it's an honor system <laughs> where Mike Matheny's like, how do you feel today? He's never going to say he want, doesn't want to play. He yeah. is going to say every day, I want to be out there. Like, dude, just wake up one day and have a head cold and sit out. Take some Tylenol, sit in the dugout, like don't play. I don't think it's to the point to where he is going to physically degrade to where he's going to get hurt. I don't think it's going to be that bad. He's been healthy. He's played through minor injuries, all that good stuff. But – the performance is struggling. He's hitting the ball harder than I thought he was going to. And that's what the article outlined too. He has had some really bad luck on some plays. He remembers the at-bats. So I think he is trying to, and you never want to call it a um, lip service type piece because there was a ton of substance in it. But I think anyone with a brain and two eyes and an understanding of the Royals knows that Whit Merrifield is probably tired, knows yeah. that Whit Merrifield is hashtag an old player, knows that Whit Merrifield's not going to age extremely gracefully because that's hard to do in baseball. Not everyone's going to be Ben Zobrist or whatever. Um, Whit 
is going to have to get some time off. I don't know if it's going to happen. I'd almost lean no just because the Royals are the Royals, but mm-hmm. um, it would benefit him, and I think it benefits the team to get Olivares out there, like you said, get Kyle Isbell out there, get someone out there um, so they can spell him for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at Savant, which you know is a pretty good resource for at least looking at some of the, the underlying data in all of this. And, he, I mean, he's in the 22nd percentile max exit velocity, Average exit velocity is 16th. I mean, and he's never been a dude that has hit, hit the ball extremely no. hard. He's never been that type of guy. Um, but the ma- the average exit velocity is the lowest of his career. The max exit velocity is the lowest of his career, which you can expect from a defining player, especially a dude that has never been a power-hitting guy is mostly like a doubles hitter for the most part. But still, that's not what you want to see. And it's a, de- it's a very small sample of 51 batted ball events, but it's still not great. It's not a great yeah. indicator. We're, we're getting to a point now where – that sort of data stabilizes around 50 to 75 batted ball events is when that kind of starts to get there. Maybe a little more. I'd have to, I'd have to check with some people that are smarter than me, but at that point you kind of know you're not in a slump anymore at that point. Yeah. Um, plate appearance wise is a little different, but when you're actually putting the ball in play is a completely different thing. I hope that he finds a way to, to kind of get out of this. He's a good enough hitter. He's a professional hitter um that he is going to put together good enough at bats to get on a streak i mean he he finds a way every year to get a a 12 to 15 game hit streak in there somewhere and that's probably going to come soon but i it is very concerning right now especially with the fact that he's not walking he's walking three percent of the time he's never been a dude that has walked a ton in his career he's always been a very aggressive leadoff hitter which normally has led to balls being hit you know at people or putting the ball in play and not striking out which is fine yeah. but at some point if you're not going to if you're not going to hit the ball well, at least get on base somehow. Because uh, he's still a good enough threat to seal a base. He's still a, a pretty fast player that he can do that, and he's not doing that either. So there's a lot working against him right now. I hope they can find a, a built-in off day for him soon. The, like I said, the streak was cool, and it's why Cal Ripken Jr. streak is the most untouchable in the sport. It's up there with Dimaggio's hit streak. It's just not going to happen. Yep. No one's going to get to 2,600 consecutive games. It's just not going to happen. So at a certain point, like, just cut your losses, give him two, three days off. Hopefully he can reset and come back and be the Whit Merrifield that we all know that he can be. Yeah, absolutely. And he, I know you talked about uh, Santana with Tucker last week, kind of the opposite of that. Like Santana's hitting the, well, not the cover off the ball, but he's hitting the ball hard. He offers nothing on the base pads and he isn't the defender Whit Merrifield is. Whit Merrifield's playing fine defense, not elite, but fine. And then, his sprint speed still, what was like 88th percentile or was oh, it like 82nd? Like, it's up to 93rd percentile. If I'm oh, okay. Right. Yeah, 93rd. So, I mean, he's still, okay, so he's still yeah. very, very good. Yeah, it's not like he's wa- – I don't want to use the word washed. I, I really try to refrain from but it's not like he is. Like at the plate, yeah. he's going to be – <laughs> he's going to be better than he is right now. There's no doubt about it. Like you said, he's going to get out of this at some point. But, I mean – the underlying like causes of this, I, I don't know if they're going to go away. And I know that it, they can improve with him getting a few days off. Um, I think that he can avoid extended periods like this. Um, but at a certain point, people kind of have to accept when you think of the next core of Royals contending teams that people thought maybe could begin as early as next year, which seems like at this point might be delaying a little bit yeah. um, with Merrifield not going to be a big piece of that if at all no i never thought he was going to be um that's why i think the the lack of that's not the right word they weren't proactive with trading him is what you're thinking yes um i have other takes on that but i'm not gonna not gonna go down that road today Uh, and i'm not gonna slander carl santana today as well because he had a two a two run double or two run single uh good for him Six nothing lead. So I think he has the batting average over a hundred now. So we're we're working our way toward the Mendoza line slowly but surely. Uh, but still, I don't need to see him on the team very much longer. But good for him that he got the got the knock tonight. Uh, the Royals seem to at least figure out a little bit of offense. They scored more than five runs. What a concept. Um, what else you want to talk about? That's you know they, we want to air they, any more grievances uh. to air here. <laughs> keeping no it's not even a grievance because he played really well keeping Perez in the lineup on Sunday I was genuinely shocked to see him out there um he seems to be doing fine so I mean I can't even slander for that he was he had like what two doubles in that game back to back to start off so I mean it just looked scary 
And then I was like, maybe his hand is like too inflamed to even get like a clear read on what the issue is or whatever. Then he played. Um, I do think the, when you get, if they get Santana out of the picture, that opens up the door. And I'm not one of those conspiracy theorists who thinks Salvador Perez is going to play a bunch of games at first base or any of that stuff. But getting him at DH, getting him time off, Hunter Dozier seems to be actually somewhat solid. I do think this isn't like falling in the category of Aaron grievances. I think the other shoe is going to drop with Dozier at some point. I don't know how bad it's going to be, but like if his OPS dropped like 75 points or something down in the low to mid 700s, which I mean, that's still a guy you can put out in your lineup. Um, I, I think that might be around the corner at some point. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna get into Hunter Dozier here in a little bit. I'll, okay. Uh, a different cool. note, uh, just because I I think I, I I I don't think I think I did not give him the, his credit last week that I the way I should have. Um, I don't really have anything else, frankly, um, that I really is kind of bothering me at this point, or that I Jake think. Jake Brents. I mean, that, yeah, that's about yeah. it. Yeah, I mean that that's the only thing is like he's usually pretty solid. Um the only, the thing with him is just the command issues sometimes are, are really rough. Yeah. Uh, but that's always been his thing. He he was never and that's part of the reason why he was a minor league free agent a couple years ago. Like he the command issues were just awful and he he couldn't help himself. But I mean last year I thought he was really solid. He was solid to begin the year. I think he had like one blow up and then he was solid for about five outings and then he was rough again on Saturday it happens to everybody and you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and trash him too bad because generally the bullpen has been really good. Yeah. For the and good Brents is, is and good Brents is really good. Yes. As a, as a lefty with his delivery, the funk he's able to bring with the upper nineties fastball, it works. So I think he's going to be just fine. I'm not overly concerned. We did see a little bit of regression, but also for some reason, like the Mariners offense is actually good this year. Uh, that yeah. offense is actual, like they, they're not, it, like an enigma, like horribly bad and relied on the fun differential to win last year. Like they actually are putting up runs and putting together a really good lineup. So I'm not, I'm not going to worry about that at this point. Um, I think, th- I think the bullpen has been fine. Honestly, the rotation has been like the least, like the pitching has been like the least of my worries at this point. Yeah. Like they're all okay. And I, and we kind of know what to expect from them. Uh, it's not going to be spectacular, but I don't think it's going to be to the Royals detriment either. At least it's, at this point. When you have several guys in your lineup who you were counting on playing really well who aren't playing really well, it's it, this is going to surprise a ton of people. You're not going to win a ton of baseball games when no half kidding, your lineup right? or over half your lineup isn't playing well. And when you needed that to break right in order for you to just be 500 or close to it, like this is – they're staring down a path where they don't improve over last year if this stuff keeps up. Now, do I think they can salvage it? Absolutely. I think they could um, if – if we are in charge of the leash, I think a lot of these leashes are a lot shorter than they're going to end up being. Um, that's another conversation probably for another day. Um, but they it's still early. There's still some stuff we don't know. But it seems like things are beginning to crystallize at least a little bit. Yeah. And I, I really don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Yeah, we'll find out. I mean, there's still what's crazy is like we keep talking about, you know, a little bit of doom and gloom and stuff. And there's still like 140 some odd games. To yeah, play. So a, a lot can baseball. change. A lot can change. But the trends that you're seeing early on are not great. The early returns are not giving you hope that things can, but they also can. So that's yeah. just the way baseball works. So we're still very early in the season. But, it, you know. We're seeing what we're seeing right now. We got a call like we see it at this point on April 26th, recording this show. Uh, before we get into uh, the back half of the show, we'll go to our weekly segment with Keona Sinks, talking about what's coming up next uh, at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, Kiona, so the last time we talked, uh, last Tuesday, uh, you were getting ready to go to the first like kind of phase of the, the cleanup of Monarch Plaza to get it ready for the March of the Monarchs, which we'll talk about again here in a second. How did that go, and what's the, the progress looking like for, for getting all that ready to go? Yeah, well, for people who might not know, uh, the museum's in the process of revitalizing Monarch Plaza, the former site of Old Municipal Stadium. Uh, plays a critical role in Kansas City sports history, as you know, Joel, between the Chiefs, Royals, Kansas City A's, uh, and the Kansas City Monarchs. And so we were fortunate enough to secure the $10,000 grant from Evergy, who is no strangers to the museum. Um, And we had our first cleanup day last week, and it was incredible. Um, A team of about 20 employees from Evergy came, and that was a part of the grant requirements, was they wanted to offer to their employees a service day. And so we were able to do that and gut out everything. So Monarch Plaza looks a little weird right now because <laughs> there's nothing there. Um, but it was it was amazing to see. It's emotional. I mean, obviously, with May 6th, we'll actually rededicate the site um, with a lot of our community partners and dignitaries that will be present in Kansas City. Um, and that was historically uh, May 6th, 1945, Jackie Robinson's first home game with the Kansas City Monarchs. And you know, this year marking the 80th anniversary of that 1942 team. So just a lot of synergies. Um, and coincidentally, uh, the 75th anniversary of Jackie's breaking of the color barrier, and we're unveiling a new Jackie Robinson placard on May 6th. It's a lot to unpack, um, but it'll be a special day. Yeah, that's going to be very exciting. I can't, I can't wait for that because that'll be next uh, Saturday, right? If I have that, if I, my day's correct, my, yeah. I, have a, I have a year and a half old. Like my days just kind of come and go, and I don't know until they show up. <laughs> No, it's coming up. And cool. I think, you know, not just letting this moment, you know, just pass us by. Right. Like right. thinking back, you know, at a time in the Kansas City when what we know today is not what was happening then. And I think that's the larger conversation. Right. In terms of getting our, our community, getting our city to understand the history, the origins and a lot of these players, you know, who just wanted to play baseball. Right. And right. having to play in the Negro Leagues, you know, having, you know, the the catalyst of social change in our country, starting right here in Kansas City with Jackie Robinson uh, before he took the field with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And so this whole progression and what the museum believes and what we pride ourselves on telling that story is, you know, Jackie's breaking of Major League Baseball's color barrier was not only uh, the, the start of the civil rights movement, it was the beginning of the civil rights movement. And so it's such an important important day. It's such an important project for the museum to do, restoring history in our city. Uh, Monarch Plaza should be restored. Uh, it's not just a garden. <laughs> um, right, absolutely. So we're, we're excited uh, to, to rededicate that space in, in front of the community in Kansas City. So for maybe anybody that didn't listen last week, we talked a little bit about March of the Monarchs, which is what uh, you alluded to a little bit ago, talking uh, a celebration of the 80th anniversary of a champion Kansas City Monarchs team. Uh, obviously, the the New York Yankees of the Negro Leagues, if you will. So one of the many championships that they won, but certainly a milestone anniversary for that specific team. 
uh, give our listeners a, a talk about it again about what we can expect on uh, May 7th uh, looking into uh, March of the Monarchs. Yeah, historically, Joel, uh, when the Kansas City played a doubleheader in Kansas City, uh, if you know anything about the black church, uh, you don't mess with service time. And black, black churches would move their service times up an hour just so we could accommodate in our city to watch the Kansas City Monarchs play. Uh, this year, as you mentioned, uh, marks the 80th anniversary of that 1942 Kansas City roster. Uh, and, and actually, literally, the Monarchs, that roster and their jerseys wore their hearts on their sleeves this year. So they literally had so much civic pride for Kansas City. Um, and traditionally, this whole concept around March of the Monarchs and how we came about was it would be a marching band that would start here in historic 18th and Vine and lead them in a march with thousands of people to Old Municipal Stadium, which we know now it's about three minute, three minute, five minute walk from the museum to 22nd and Brooklyn past Arthur Bryant's. Um, and so we're going to reverse that tradition uh, and go from Monarch Plaza ending here in front of the museum with food trucks family games, um, you name it, live entertainment, music, just just the whole thing, just to give the Monarchs the celebration that they never they never receive. And so it'll be a special day um, and really just getting Kansas City together and, and having having that synergy to celebrate that 1942 team. Yeah, it's going to be a very cool celebration, something that uh, everyone in Kansas City should be at if they can get there. Anybody that, that loves the game of baseball, loves the history of the Negro Leagues, of baseball, the Monarchs should, should be there. And I want to continue to promote this because that is a, a very cool event. They deserve celebration, uh, like you said, that they, that they never received. So uh, I really want to see everybody there that we can get. Yeah, many people. Um, I'm excited. The pennants look great. The buttons look great uh, for for the event. Uh, and so I'm excited to, to see people have those in the march that day. So oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. La so last thing for today, uh, you mentioned it a little bit. And I'll, I'll let you explain in a little more detail. I'm not as familiar with this, but uh, very cool that there, have, there are uh, Negro Leagues, uh, newly like minted commemorative coins uh, that are going out. Uh, and you said like the first set of people that order them are going to get them soon. Can you talk a little more about that? I probably butchered the heck out of that whole explanation, but you know a little <laughs> more about this than I do. That's why I love having you on here to, to explain this all. Yeah, no, this is so, 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 so huge for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum this year, Joel. We have an opportunity, you know, with this museum and, and Buck's induction and everything that this banning year stands for. You know, you think back 15 years ago. We've been able to successfully, you know, weather the economic landscape for three decades now. And it's time for our institution to start thinking about the long term perpetuity of our museum. So your 18, 18th month old can come to the museum one day and my kids and kids, kids can can experience this place as well. But we need an endowment. And so that this U.S. Mint coin, this Negro, this first ever Negro Leagues commemorative coin program does that for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and the potential that if we are able to sell out the full allotment of coins and what the legislation has um, allocated for, you know, close to six million dollars will be able to come back to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Uh, so we need everybody <laughs> to purchase yeah. those coins uh, because there is literally, as Bob says, uh, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for us. And so. Um, the designs are beautiful. Um, not enough time in the day to talk about it in terms of just all the inner workings. I mean, as you know, to get legislation like this passed to even have a coin, you have to get Republicans and Democrats to sign off on it. And you have to get so many signatures um, on both sides of the aisles to even bring this to reality. And so, you know, we always joke about how the winning spirit of the Negro Leagues is, is definitely was was in the mix of this. Uh, because this was we started this process in 2020 uh, when when ideally, you know, bipartisan legislation, no one could agree on anything, essentially. Uh, and so the fact that the museum was able to secure this is such a huge deal. And now we have even a greater a greater opportunity for for people to purchase these coins and, and really invest in the, the work that we still have yet to do. And hopefully uh, December later around Christmas, which is hard to believe. You and I are celebrating, uh, and Kansas City's is celebrating that the museum will be able to start our endowment. There we go. That's awesome. If you're a coin collector, anything like I'm looking at one of the pictures, it's a really awesome coin of Rube Foster, you know, incredibly influential person in the history of the Negro Leagues. Uh, that is that is so cool. And I think that is an incredible opportunity for the museum itself. Uh, Kiona, thank you so much for your time once again this week. Look forward to next week as always. And 
anybody before we, this little segment ends season three of the black diamonds podcast that Bob Kendrick does the president of the Negro leagues baseball museum uh, just started, I believe last week or the week before I got a couple episodes to catch up on. If you're, <laughs> if you like podcasts, you like history, baseball and all the inner workings of that, go, go back and listen to season one. It's incredible. Got me through many a drive getting to work in, in the morning. So uh, definitely want to make sure that people get in and listen to that. It's one of the best podcasts out there truly of, of any genre. So be sure to listen to that. Thank you, Kiona, once again. Look forward to next week. Thank you, Joel. All right, uh, Jordan. So I, I, would, I do want to talk about Hunter Dozier. And some of this is because I don't think I gave him enough credit last week and kind of bagged on him when I shouldn't have. Uh, I kind of gave, I, it was kind of similar to, to what you said. I just want to took it a couple steps too far in that. I was like, oh, it's really great, but he's not going to be an everyday player. Like he's not, still not. And that's, I don't think that's the case right now. I think he has, like, it, I think it's going from like a good story to him actually kind of getting back to that 2019 form. I don't think he's going to be 2019 Dozier. He's a few years older than that. A few more injuries on, you know, on him since then, but he's still got a waiter and created plus over 130. He's hitting the ball for power again, which is really nice to see. He's not walking, but he's only striking out about 25% of the time. That's manageable for him. Uh, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to talk about his glove because I don't need to go down that road. We all understand. <laughs> but, and I, and part of that conversation was me talking about like Mondesi is not part of the issue at this point, at least because he's pre was providing the defense, but in a week that turned into a horrible take. And I need to, and for the take integrity that I have, I was wrong. Mondesi was becoming part of the problem. Hunter Dozier is the least of that problem at this point because he's actually producing in the lineup for the Royals when they haven't had a lot of guys that are doing that. So I want to give him his credit because he has been one of the bright spots and one of the good stories on this team early on. Yeah, no, he absolutely has. And I mean, before the season, and I think that we're on the same line of thinking here, heading into the year, we might have even talked about this off the podcast about like what, how good can he be in tw- like when you look back at his 2022 stat line, what's it going to be? And I was like, man, he's going to improve not to where he is now. I don't think that's completely sustainable. Like you said, but can he have an OPS of like 750 to 775? I and think, I think that's do that. perfect. I think that's, it. yeah, I think that's perfectly fine. I think it's perfectly not perfectly likely, but I think it, almost would happen at this point. Like he's going to regress and that's okay. I don't think he's going to be 2019 Dozier for all the reasons you listed. That is okay for what the Royals are doing for what they need from him. They don't need before the year. So many people were saying he needs to be 2019 Dozier and that's he's going to be 2019. I'm like a, they don't quote unquote need that. If they have realistic expectations, they obviously want him to be good, but B it's not going to happen. Like, can he yeah. be, 80 to 85 percent of 2019 Dozier, I think he can and that's still a valuable bat to have in your lineup if he's a bat in your lineup if he's playing third base or right field gets a little iffy if he's playing first base you can swallow that if you have to in a normal situation not when the Royals have Santana and Prado and Pasquantino and all that stuff long term um, but for all their purposes in 2022 as of right now like you said, we're judging it April 26th. He's been a bright spot. He's been good. He has been the least of their worries this season. Yeah. And also, like, another bright spot. I mean, Andrew Benintendi has been great. It's not hitting for a lot yeah. of power, which isn't necessarily shocking. I don't – and I think he's kind of getting back to to what he was kind of early in his career, which is yep. I'm going to hit a lot of doubles. I'm going to put the ball in play. I'm not going to try and sell out for power. And just kind of let the ball go. And I mean, he has a 176 weighted runs created plus right now. He leads the team in war. He's up there with Salvi at half a win uh, early on. But that's a pretty good number to be at. And he's only striking out 15% of the time. Healthy Andrew Benintendi is good. And that's what we're seeing right now. Hopefully he can stay that way because healthy Andrew Benintendi last year at the end of that season is the Andrew Benintendi that we're seeing at this point. So it's a really a welcome sign that that's what he's becoming. Obviously, in his contract year, he's kind of showing out a little bit, which isn't that shocking either. Uh, but the 490 slug, 434 average is very good for what the Royals need right now. Yeah, he – something, something contract year, something payment, something extension. But, like, in all seriousness, I was one of those people, and this says more about, I think, Kyle Isbell than Andrew Benatendi. You can – 
let Ben Attendee walk and get a good deal of his production from Mikhail Isbell. Yes. You don't necessarily have to. I think it's it's true. I think it is very true, but Andrew Benintendi is a good baseball player. And I think that says a lot more about Kyle Isbell. I think can be a good, a solid, he can be an above average baseball player. Benintendi is not a star. He's not going to be elite or anything, but he can be a clearly above average to good player. And that's valuable to have in your lineup. It's going to be a cost benefit analysis of if the Royals want one corner of the outfield to have Isbell, if they want to try him in center field long-term, if they just don't want to try him at all, if Benintendi is part of that future. But as of right now, Again, another player who is going to regress in certain aspects throughout the year, but I think him being good is legitimate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's where I'm at. My, are you in on a, a Benintendi extension right now or no? What price point? The principle of it, yes. It depends on the price point. So I think it would probably... Where, where are you out? Where are you in at like the floor and then where are you like this is too much per Okay, year? 12 million a year I'm in. Okay. 50, anything above 15 I'm out. I was literally going to say like 11 to 16 and I think it's probably but 12 to 15 if I'm getting closer. So so here's my thing and this is a way long-term piece of thinking here but if you're going to pay Andrew Benintendi say 5 for 75 that's 75 million that you can't give the number 7. Yep. That's the way the Royals have to think about this is any money that you really give. And it's not telling that is not me saying the Royals shouldn't spend in free agency. They shouldn't pay for good players. I, and that they're, you know, the Royals should cry poor. That's not what I think they should do because I want to see teams incentivize winning by spending. It's what you should do. It's what teams should do in the sport. The teams that pay the most usually win. It's kind of the way it works. Um, and even as a small market team, the Royals have enough money and assets to be able to do that. But as a small market team, it's not necessarily a free agent destination, not a free agent hub. Um, you can only sell barbecues so much in Kansas City to get guys here. So you have to build from within. And at a certain point, I'm willing to let Andrew Benintendi walk in order to give Bobby Wood Jr. the ability to damn near the keys to the city and keep him here as your franchise cornerstone. I don't want to see a guy like that walk out the door. And by giving Andrew Benintendi that money, that's less money you can give to him. Yeah, that's why I think contract length comes into it too. Mm-hmm. For me, it would be probably four for 60, 15 million a year over four years would be my resistance point. Like three for 45, three for 48, that's 16 million a year. Like 50 problem, million. Yeah. Go ahead. The problem, the problem is that he would go into his, he's going into a day, age 28 season next year. He's not yeah. going to take three years. He's going to want exactly. financial security as he gets into his mid 30s. And yeah. I don't want to pay for that. If he was younger, like if he was 25, like if he was a, a high school kid, say, then when he got drafted and not a, a three-year college player and he was 26, I would, I would, I would do five, but oh, I'm totally. not going to do that right now. Uh, yeah. And that's not a knock on Andrew Benintendi. And we're also, I think if he continues on the path he's on and he hits above 300, the power comes in a little bit. He might price above that and get around 18. Yeah. And I'm not going to, I don't, I wouldn't want to pay for that if I'm the Royals. I totally agree. Yep. Yeah, I, I think I, in terms of, what we would do versus what they would do again with a lot of stuff. Um, it's a little bit different and what Ben Attendee will accept is going to be different. I think, especially if he keeps playing well, because if the Royals say, you know, have you seen pawn stars with Rick Harrison and all that? Yeah. It's like the best, the best I can do. The Royals going to be like, the best I can do is like four for four for 56 and Andrew Ben Attendee are like three for 42. He's going to be like, eh, I'm good. I can get five for 75. Like you said, and people think that doesn't make a big difference that extra year makes a big difference or extra two, the extra couple of million per year. Like those guys are going to fight for all they can get. I don't know if the price points are going to line up, um, which is when that Kylo spell thing comes into play, but yeah. you do have to field three outfield spots, but that I didn't even think about the Bobby Witt jr. Thing. I, I hadn't even that, crossed my mind. At that's all. the way I'm going to look at things for the next three to that's four brilliant. years. Cause I, cause I do think the Royals are going to lock him up, try and lock him up early. Like I don't yeah. think they're gonna do it after year two, like they like the Padres did with Tatis, or after year one, like the Rays of the Franco. But I do think the Royals are going to put together something. They have to, uh, especially if he really starts to turn it on and become the prospect that we all know and love, and that we know is going to be an All Star MVP type guy. Um, you can't let that guy walk. You I just can't. I have another. What did Franco get? Was it seven one three? Or am I totally got, way off on that? You're, I think you're off. He got, 
I think total money is like 11 or 12 for like 210, which okay. is going to be incredibly team friendly in like two years. Yeah. Who got 7103 that was recent? Someone, mm. I, I don't, oh, I know Buxton. I didn't. Buxton. Okay. Buxton. Okay. He got That's seven why, for 100. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad I'm not crazy. Um, Wit, people, <laughs> I, I get the logic of this, um, but I think there's no way and you know where that it happens, at least to a certain extent. The Royals aren't getting a hometown discount from. Oh, absolutely Bobby not. Wood so it's not going to happen. No, and nor should it. it. Exactly. It's just not how it should work and not how it's going to work. I've talked to a lot of people who are like, well, you know, the Royals are, I, I get the whole, and this works for some like draft picks, free agents, all that stuff. It works with Zach Grinky to an extent. Oh, the Royals treat people right, but yada, yada, yada. This is a totally different situation. This is a premier prospect, the top prospect in baseball guy who many expect to contend for MVP awards one day. There's not going to be a, well, you know, you were nice to me. I'm going to take $7 million off of this deal or $10 million off or twenty. He's going to get all he can get as he should. Um, I, I just want people to respectfully can we like squash the idea of the hometown discount? Eric Cosmer, you know, that was one of the debates with him. Is he going to Bobby Witt Jr. is a superstar, not just a, a handsome face who came along at the right time. Like Bobby yeah. Witt Jr. is the dude. He's going to be the dude, um, regardless of what his first 15 games are showing. He is going to get all he can get as he should. All right. So let, let's talk about Bobby Witt Jr. So, the, the oh, like the box score numbers, the the scoreboard numbers still don't look spectacular. No, no home runs, still hitting below two hundred. Uh, the OPS has gotten up above five hundred now, so that's something. Um, he's really starting to figure it out. I think the at bats are getting better. The strikeout rate is going down. It was above thirty going into the Seattle series. It's below that now. I think it's around twenty eight coming into this game. He has not struck out in this game uh, as of recording this. Uh, he's still not walking a lot. He's still probably swinging too much, but we're getting close. And I think that's the biggest thing is that he's, I think he's getting very, very close to breaking out. And a lot of it is he's not missing his pitch. He's getting fastballs, but he's fouling them off, Yeah, which tells me he's close. Once he gets that tick faster and gets that barrel through and starts spraying line drives, it's really going to start clicking for him. But I have no worries about what he's doing, especially because he's still playing elite defense. Like yeah, he is still is. he is still living up to the billing. Um, it obviously has come a little bit slower than we all expected for obvious reasons. Baseball is really friggin' hard. Like it has taken until like the last two or three games for Julio Rodriguez in Seattle to figure it out. I haven't heard much about Spencer Torkelson. I mean, he hit a, he hit a home run on Saturday after Miggy got his three thousandth hit, but like I think he's striking out quite a bit. I'll have to look. At, I'm gonna look at the numbers here in a second, but like a lot of these guys, it takes time. So. The pro like if you were trying to call him a bust or he needs to go down, like I'm sorry, like you're wrong. Um, I, I, it serves no purpose. Sending him down to AAA unless you strike you start striking out 40% of the time is going to serve no purpose. Yeah, it, even if it's 40% of the time, I mean, you you might be tempted to just let him work through it. And like we've seen top prospects recently struggle to get going. It yeah. took Franco time to get going. Jared Kalanick, he's not like a Bobby Witt Jr. He was not hitting well all of his first season. Like it's, it takes guys time, some more than others. J Rod took a minute. J Rod was always going to take a little bit of time. I love J Rod, but I thought it was going to take awesome. him a minute to adjust. Yeah. Um, Torque, Torque had a good first four games. Then the next four, he had a negative weighted runs created plus. Like it's so early in a year to make judgments yeah. about these guys. And Witt, obviously we aren't watching J-Rod and studying his his zones and his heat maps as a hitter and his timing and all that stuff. But Witt, he was getting close. Early on, he was getting just abused by off-speed stuff, and he was just struggling to not distinguish, but distinguish when he needs to swing at what. Now he's fouling stuff off, like you said. Now he knows kind of the... And it's, I don't know if it was, people keep saying, well, they had, <laughs> which I didn't understand. Um, the They've done the scouting report on him. They know what he's going to swing at. I, I'm like, you really would go in reverse order where he'd play for 100 games then, or 100 plate appearances rather. Then people would say, okay, we kind of have the loadout on this guy. People are going to study his double A and triple A stuff. Oh, yeah. They weren't going to come into the year where everyone had a target on Bobby Witt Jr.'s back. I don't think that was true. I think it was he was coming up 
it was his first time besides spring training facing this caliber of pitching. His just approach was a little bit off. He's now fouling pitches off. He's getting smarter. The difficulty slider on the dynamic difficulty slider on the show is slowly ticking down as he's yep. finding more success. It's going in reverse order. He is going to be fine. And he's a guy that even tonight he is what two for three as we're recording this two podcast. Two for four. Two for four. Two for four. Still, okay. Did, and and he also, has, he's hitting he didn't five strike games out in a row many. now. He, he hasn't yes. struck out and he's hitting five games in a row. He's fine. He's going to be fine. He, if anything, I think it's even more impressive that he's going to battle through this and not have the typical, well, not even typical, but like the very common, I'm just going to come up and be that dude right off the bat or relatively right off the bat. I think it's even cooler that he's coming up. He struggled. He looked bad at the plate. He's quickly figuring it out. Like in the, we talk about it's early in the season. It's 15 games out. of It's a 10th of the way through the year. Like he's a guy that he's going to blow these numbers out of the water the rest oh, of the yeah. year. Um, he's going to hit home runs. He's going to turn those doubles into triples. He's going to turn those singles into doubles. His power is going to show up. He's not going to strike out as much. Um, I, I'm not worried in the slightest about him. I know that we could have summed it up in one sentence each. That's that's our thought. We aren't worried about him. No, and there's generally two types of prospects that come up, and this is very a very general, broad statement here, but for those just for the ease of people listening. You have your guys that come up and light the world on fire and they have like five home runs in their first nine games and they're, you know, holy crap. They're, they're making amazing plays. And then their next 20 games are awful because the book's out on them. Mm-hmm. What we saw with these three guys, Torque, um, J-Rod and Bobby, they all came up and kind of had their skids early. Um, Torque hit a couple home runs early because his power is stupid. Um but he's still striking out 30% of the time. J-Rod was striking out 50% of the time through his first seven games. Um, Bobby was seeing first pitch sliders in his big league debut. That doesn't <laughs> happen to top prospects yeah. or to prospects in general. Like even top guys, it's okay, hit the heater, let's go. No, he's no. Bieber was flipping over first pitch curveballs and sliders. It's like, okay, um, they know how good this guy is. And the, bo- and the book was there. And we're going to see if this guy can hit off the slider early because we know he can hammer a fastball. So now it's all starting to come together. Baseball is a massive game of adjustments. The adjustment came early for everybody else except Bobby Wood Jr. Now Bobby's starting to figure it out. And he's the adjustments he's able to make at bat to at bat. He's not flailing. By the fourth at bat, he's not flailing early anymore. He's not striking out uh, horribly later in the game. He's making those adjustments, which tells me he's, again, he's going to be fine. My only thing for him is I want him to swing a little less and walk a little more. Yep. He is trying to do everything. Uh, he thinks he can get to every pitch, which for the majority of his life he's been able to do. But at the big leagues, the diff- the degree of difficulty is significantly higher. So he has to take that back a little bit. And okay, I'm gonna get that. Like I'm gonna get that first pitch slider. I'm gonna you know got to spit on it. Now I'm gonna go hunting for that fastball 1-0. And once he can get to that point where he just goes and starts hunting pitches and is hammering the ball that's when it's going to click and hitting is generally an infectious thing. Seeing the ball land helps. And cause you know that you can do it. He has not gotten his first show Homer yet. I think he's going to take off when that happens. Yeah. When he gets that first big league Homer gets that out of the way. Cause that's one of the, that's one of the hardest to hit is your, your first. Once he gets that sees the ball go over the wall, then it's blouses guys. Like he's going to get rolling. When do you, impossible question, impossible answer. Um, how many days until Bobby Witt Jr. hits his first major league home run? I bet he does it this weekend. Okay, I was going to say I'll set the over under at seven and a half days. Under. I think I, I bet he can do it this weekend. I feel, I feel good about that. I'm going to go Maybe. under too because he is settling in. He does have hits in five straight games. He's getting close. Like all it takes is one squared up. For, and even for a guy like him, almost squared up. It doesn't have to be 100% nailed. Like, he can... He can miss hit a ball out. He can't. Yes, um, exactly. The power's out right. I, no, I, I'll call it... I think I, at home against the Yankees, it's going to happen. So, so, I think if the rotation goes the way I think it will, I think Garrett Cole will pitch on Saturday. Yes. So, he's going to get a home run off the spider tack fraud, uh, which would be a great <laughs> one to have in his book. Uh, as your first one, that's a great one to have in your book. 
I like that. I, I think there wouldn't be a much better moment. Than for, I've never heard him called the spider tack fraud. Granted, you're not he's wrong. A, he's a fraud. Um, he's a fraud. Yes. The spider tack fraud. I think that'd be awesome. That'd be a funny my, moment. My favorite meme that I have on my phone is there. there's a picture of him from his introductory press conference, like holding up a sign and someone photoshopped a, a giant, like a thing of spider yes. tack. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, see yeah. my friend. I, I saw hold, that one. I, so whenever he gives up a homer, that gets tweeted by me. Yeah. But yeah, no, and I, so that's uh, that's where I'll, I'll call my shot that he gets his first home run on Saturday, if like or that. whenever Garrett Cole pitches. It's whenever, like at some point, or I think he's going to pitch at some point in that series. That's when it's going to be. I dig it. I think I'll go under two, and I think during the series, I'm not going to pinpoint it to a pitcher. Um, I, I think we all know my preference of who, what pitcher it would be. Um, but I think it's going to happen during that series too. Okay, so before we get out of here, one last like positive thing, uh, big tip of the cap. To Daniel Lynch, yes. six shutty tonight, seven strikeouts. Looked very, very impressive. Like he's starting to figure things out. Be the guy that we think he can be. Now, pitch efficiency still kind of a work in progress, but that's a work in progress for any young pitcher. Um, he had a, a lot of long at bats today. Uh, he had he had like a twelve pitch at bat against uh, against Jose Bray. It ended up in a little you know duck fart over the second baseman's head or whatever. It ended up being a little blooper, but. Not giving up a lot of hard contact. Uh, he's getting to strike two and striking guys out now. Um, the fastball, he's locating better. Not hanging his slider. Working in the changeup. He's starting to put it together better than all of these young pitchers right now. Uh, very, very impressed with what I have saw from him. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's insane. Um, he, We talked about Carlos Hernandez, and neither one of us thought he was going to be like the guy. This year, I think you had him coming out of the bullpen in your roster. I did. Projection. Like I we did. were both very down to earth on him. Um, we both also acknowledged there's a lot of volatility with Daniel Lynch. Like he could have the outcomes with him were going to be widespread, but he had stretches and starts last year where he just looked better than anyone in the in the uh, Asa Lacy incredibly different stage in his career. Anyone in the system, like a dude that literally is that guy and can be that guy. And he's had a couple moments this year where he's been that guy, even against St. Louis, he gave up the three home runs. He battled back. And like, that is hard to do as a pitcher in general, let alone a young pitcher at 25 year old who is still developing on a, I don't want to say a bad team already, but like a not good team, like to battle back the way Mike Matheny talks about him compared to the other guys is interesting. Like, I think the Royals know, that Daniel Lynch can be it for them. I'm not saying ace or anything. I'm saying like a really good frontline starter, front of the line yep. starter. Um, but he can be a good pitcher. Um, he's been, I don't know what his ERA is now. I'm not getting wrapped up in that. It's so early in the year. Yeah. It's probably what, like four, I don't want to say 420. And so he came into the game with an ERA around 540. 540. It's now down to 338 after <laughs> six shutout innings. And uh, it's so early. Now, it's gonna that'll play. Yeah, it's yes. gonna stay, yeah, it's gonna stabilize. Like it'll be fine. Um, if he can pitch to like anywhere between the to me like three seven and four, perfectly yep. great year for him. Um, that'll that'll, play. That's like top of the line. I mean, if, even if he's around four two, I think that's that's gonna be okay. Hundred percent. Now, dead, I'm, now I'm with the, the the way the ball's like been deadened this year, he might be able to pitch to a three seven, and it's okay. Yeah. Are Are you predicting a two seven, Joel? Is that what I just heard? Three seven. Oh, okay. I, I was like, seven. No, <laughs> I was no, like, dude, he's pitching to a two seven. Then we're gonna have a different conversation. Oh no, no, no. I said no. Th- I might have misspoke, but I said like three no, no, seven no, you're... to four. Then we're okay. Here. Okay. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. If it's three eight five or, like you said, even four ten or whatever four two, um, that'd be that'd be good for a guy like him. And I know that uh, there's a lot better. This isn't gonna surprise anyone listening. Um, better ways to judge pitching than ERA. So oh, even if the There's peripherals so are a bunch different, um, it's in between the lines this year. If you look at the St. Louis start, even he has been, he's had a lot of good moments. Now the past two starts have been objectively good. Um, this one easily is best of the year. Seven strikeouts. How about that? Um, it was, it was interesting. I, I really like what I've seen from him. Yeah, and he's like I said barrel barrel percentage is a twelve percent right now. Um, he's given up four this year, which actually is not awful. Um, no, but only hundred. I don't even know if that's been updated to today. But 
he's been good. Uh, I really, like I said, it's it's nice to see one of these guys really start to to turn it on um, and figure things out. Chris Boob just still walking a lot of dudes. Um, Brady Singer, I, I was trying to find him on a milk carton. Apparently, they found him in the bullpen on Friday. Oh um, man. Uh, which I'm like, I'm cool with him kind of just working things out. It seems like they're trying to work things out with him on the side and not get him hammered, you know, or let him get hammered in the game. Uh, and, but the thing is like his fastball was up to 97 out of the bullpen, which I like, uh, I like that a lot better than him working 92 to 94 as a starter. So maybe there's something there. Uh, I don't know. He only threw two thirds of an inning. So it's a really small sample. I'll wait to see two or three more outings from him before I make any sort of definitive Brady singer as a reliever takes. But, you know, at least seeing the fastball play like that with the run he gets, you know, at least gives me some room for something interesting. I I don't want to say that I wouldn't lean. This is going to happen when the roster cut down occurs. Is Brady Singer an option to be sent down? I think he is. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think it's an option. No, I don't think that would shock me. Um, And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, no, I think getting in consistent, semi-consistent reps, consistent innings, more opportunities to to work his changeup, to get him back, kind of in a good headspace. Because I, I do wonder if some of the stuff with him and Coar is is between the ears, yeah, uh, and working that back and just kind of having you know just some opportunities to go and shove against some AAA guys. There's nothing wrong with that. Get confident, get right, come back up to the bigs, and let's go. Also, like I. I have to phrase this a good way, um, but you know what I'm talking about. The where would you find a spot for him when he's ready to come back would probably work itself out one way or another, whether it's someone having arm fatigue or somebody not cutting it. Like, I'm not trying to yeah. say anything's going to happen to anyone, but something would probably happen to happens to everybody. Brady there is it, a, it's just, it's inevitable. Yeah. Like, there is so much movement uh, yeah. with the bullpen in the rotation for all 30 big league teams yeah. you're because starting five at the beginning is never very very has it i'd be interested to see the data on that like oh, the God. variance there's between no way there's almost. no way there's just no way there's no way that all five guys make 35 no. starts it's not like the it's not like the show where you can just plug him in and then turn injuries off and go from there even right even under performance like if carlos Fernandez isn't cutting it in july the royals could move him to the bullpen and shuffle someone in like it's not even that's there are two different ways something yeah. like that can happen. Even three, if a John Heasley is just absolutely crushing it, and then they're he's like, car- "He is carving right now in Omaha." Yes, he's doing he, really, really good. He is. He's going to get called up here soon, I bet, and slot into the back end of the rotation here soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's almost getting to the point where he's just too good for AAA that it's not even good for his development. So we should see him soon, I think. Yeah, I'm a fan. I like. I like Heasley. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, we're running up on an hour, and I know that we could keep going for two just with the way you and I talk. But any final thoughts here? It could be anything. It doesn't have to be baseball-related. Uh, I think we covered a lot, man. Uh, NFL draft's coming up. Obviously, that's going to be a big deal. But there is still early in the baseball season, major leagues, minor leagues, prospects, MLB draft. Um, there's so much coming up. Yep. Okay, so you are also a Chiefs guy doing stuff on the SI side for that as well. With the Chiefs' first first-round pick, they take? They take or I take? They take. Um, okay, you can do both. You can answer both. I probably take like Arnold Ebicady or somebody. Yeah. Um, I think they take either a trade-up or they take George Karloftis. I, I just think it's going to happen. It seems like a, a Chiefs pick. Yeah, very Karloftis is so spagsy, it kind of hurts. Yeah. Um, I could see them going. Yeah, I, I could see that. I think Abikiti would be interesting. Um, boy Mafe. Uh oh I mean, yeah, Mafe definitely. They're they're gonna go edge. They they need to, whether they trade up or stay at 29 and then pick at 30. And then at receiver, man, if George Pickens is there, I might do a backflip. Uh, that that would be a guy like I wouldn't even mind getting because of, I, I think the wide receiver room is actually pretty decent. Uh, I think they can work with it. I would take a flyer on Christian Watson and make yep. it work there. Um, if they don't take him there, then give me the KCSN draft guy, darling Sky Moore at 50. He's so fun. I love <laughs> he's him. Good. He's good. Uh, so th- there's a lot of guys to watch. Speaking of the draft, 
Um, be sure if you have not bought the KCSN draft guide that Kent, Maddie, and Craig did, uh, be sure to check that out. Gum.co slash KCSN22. Check that out leading up to Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And if you're in the area, come hang out at the Kingdom Bar and Grill. They're going to be live covering all three days of the draft there, drink some food specials, all that kind of stuff. I will, I know I'll be there on day three, hanging out on Saturday. So if I'm there, you see me come hang out. Let's, let's have a good time. Uh, thank you all for listening. Hope you all listen to this before uh, Thursday. You're able to get your baseball fix before a weekend of football, which I understand the NFL machine is, is year round. So uh, we can't thank everybody enough for, for tuning in here. Be sure to like this video. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to Kansas City Sports Network. Uh, be sure to follow KCSN Kansas City Royals on Spotify and iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, so you can find this show and one or, and, uh, and Royals Farm Report, this show One Royal Way. I'm Joel Penfield. Appreciate you guys. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.